0: This is the Bible Book Club. And we're in the book of Joshua. Welcome Welcome to the club.
1: Well, my apologies for last episode butchering the long lists of names of all those kings of Israel. I just needed to apologize to everyone. (laughs) Susan made me do it. It was all her fault. You can blame her. (laughs) Send all the emails complaining to Susan, please. (laughs) I I even kind of thought you were picking up a little like Hebrew accent. (laughs) I had to get my (sighs) But then Joshua got a break God told him to get the Israelites Going again And he needed to conquer some more land and then divide it up. It was like, I I was wondering why God was not punishing him for taking that break. So it must have been a sanctioned break. It must have been. And they predicted it was like seven years, which is
0: a biblical number. But, you know, those warriors need to go home and make some more children. They can't just be on campaign
1: all the time. Yeah. And that was a lot of campaigning that we read about. They were
0: supposed to, you know, populate the land.
1: Yep. And the first tribe to inherit that land was the tribe of Judah and specifically Caleb The committed and courageous hero who followed the Lord wholeheartedly. And as we all know, Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. Correct.
0: Chapter 15 is going to cover the allotment for the rest of the tribe of Judah. Caleb has his land. And next, Joshua outlines the territory for the whole tribe, which extended from the Dead Sea to the Mediterranean. You can
1: uh, take a look at map 39 in the show notes for all the tribal allotments. Chapter 15. The allotment for the tribe of Judah, according to its clans, extended down to the territory of Edom, to the desert of Zin in the extreme south. Their southern boundary started from the bay at the southern end of the Dead Sea, crossed south of Scorpion Pass, continued it on to Zin, and went over to the south of Kadesh Barnea. Then it ran past Hezron up to Adar and curved around Kara. It then passed along to Asmon and joined the Wadi of Egypt, ending at the Mediterranean Sea. This is their southern boundary. The eastern boundary is the Dead Sea, as far as the mouth of the Jordan. The northern boundary started from the Bay of the Sea at the mouth of the Jordan and went up to Beth Holga, And continued north of Beth Arba To the stone of Bohan Son of Reuben The boundary then went up to Debir From the valley of Achor And turned north to Gilgal Which faces the pass of Edomim, South of the gorge It continued along to the waters of En Shemesh And came out at En Rogel Then it ran up the valley of Ben Hinnom Along the southern slope of the Jebusite city That is Jerusalem From there it climbed to the top of the hill west of the Hinnom Valley at the northern end of the valley of Rephaim, from the hilltop of the boundary headed toward the spring of the waters of Nepta, came out of the towns of Mount Ephron, and went down toward Bala, that Kirath Kerath-Jarim. Then it curved westward from Bala to Mount Seir, ran along the northern slope of the Mount Jarim, that is Kahlom, continued down to Beth Shemesh, and crossed to Timnah. It went to the northern slope of Ikron, turned toward Shikron, passed along to Mount Bala, and reached Jabneel. The boundary ended at the sea. The western boundary is the coastline at the Mediterranean Sea. These are the boundaries around the people of Judah by their clans.
0: Aren't we so glad that the Mediterranean Sea is still the Mediterranean Sea? That was the only word I knew in there. Okay, good job. All right, that is a huge boundary that, again, if you just look at the map, will make it all clear in your head. Now, next, we have more about Caleb's land in Judah and a special land allocation for Caleb's daughter. I love this story.
1: Verse 13, in accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, a portion in Judah, Kira Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the forefather of Anak. From Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites, Sheshai, Amin, and Talmai, the sons of Anak. From there, he marched against the people living in Debir, formerly called Kirath Sefer. And Caleb said, I will give my daughter Ashgoth in marriage to a man who attacks and captures Kirath Saver. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's brother, took it. So Caleb gave his daughter Ashgoth to him in marriage. One day when she came to Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. When she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, What can I do for you? She replied, Do me a special favor. Since you have given me land in Negev, give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her upper and lower springs.
0: I like it little change to the female voice there. <laughs> Very good. good. A damsel She's, in distress. Do me t- a favor, yes. Daddy. Please, Daddy,
1: can I please
0: have some land? You're doing accents and you're doing personalities. I'm into it. (laughs) Okay, so a little confusion there. It says when she, she first she urged her husband to ask her father for a field and they do think he did get the field from the father. Then there's this space when she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, what can I do for you? So that's a later visit. Just so you know, they do think that two things are happening there. Now, Caleb may be old, but he is not dead. And with the Lord on his side, he proceeds to take out the giant Anakite tribes. Ironically, he accomplishes this without the help of the hundreds of thousands of men in the 10 chicken tribes that bailed on him and Joshua 40 years ago. Rather, he does this with only his men. Not sure how many he had, but um, must have been a lot less. Then he continues on to DeBeer and possibly a little fatigued, because after all, he is like 90. He uses creative strategy to gain assistance. He offers a reward. His daughter... Aksa in marriage to anyone who captures the city. Caleb is a smart man who does not want to be related to Caleb. They were probably always all trying to kill um to get this girl. His nephew, Othniel, gets the deed done and gets the girl. Now Othniel then gets some land and in judge from from his father-in-law, at his wife's urging, he goes over and asks for a little land. And in judges 3, we're going to learn that he becomes Israel's first judge. Othniel is a motivated up-and-comer. Axaw, bold like her father Caleb, has a little strategy game herself and asks for the springs to irrigate the land she and her husband were given in the dry Negev or desert. So they get, of course, you know, Caleb gives them this land, but it's like arid land. So then she goes and asks for the springs um, so that she can irrigate the desert located, the Negev is located in the southern part of Judah. Aksa is resourceful and a powerful negotiator with her dad, or maybe she's just batting those eyelashes like that. Well, she learned from her dad. She's smart. Yeah, exactly. She's very smart. Now, if we kept a list of biblical power couples, Aksa and Othniel would surely be on it. Never really noticed these two before, but Mm -hmm. credit to them. They had it going on. The story implies that not only did Caleb acquire Hebron, but much land further south in the Negev. And his inheritance became their inheritance. So I love that story of parenting it forward. Now here is a list of the towns of Judah by regions. This is an entire. Page I know you of go, of girl. Names. You go, you go. People just keep listening. Don't. There's more to this good story. We're going to get to. So just keep listening. Verse twenty. Every word we
1: read. Every 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 word and name word. <laughs> Verse 20, this is the inheritance of the tribe of Judah, according to its clans. The southernmost towns of the tribe of Judah in the Negev toward the boundary of Edom were Kabzeel. Ider, Jagger, Kina, Dimena, Ada, Kadesh, Hazor, Ethnon, Zif, Telem, Beloth, Hazor Hadath, Keroth, Herzon, that is Hazor, Amam, Shima, Morda, Hazar Gara, Heshmon, Beth Hazar Shual, Birshiba, Bizioath, Bala, Laim, Izim, El Tolad, Kesil, Horma, Zilkag, Marmaha, Shanesha, Lebioth, Shilim, Ain, and Rimon, a total of twenty-nine towns and their villages. <laughs> Good job. In the western foothills, Eshetol, Zora, Anna, Zano, Engamim, Tapa Inam, Jarma, Adalum, Soko, Azeka, Sharim, Adahim, Gedera or Geterohim, fourteen towns and their villages Zenan, Hedaha, Migdalgad, Delian, Mespa, Jokthil, Lakish, Bosath, Eglon, Kabon Lamas, Kitlish, Geroth, Beth Dagon, Nama, and Mekleda, sixteen towns and their villages, Libna, Ether, Ashan, Ipta, Ashna, Nezib, Kaliah, Akazib, and Marakath, Nine towns and their villages. Ikron, with its surrounding settlements and villages. West of Ikron, all that were in the vicinity of Ashdod, together with their villages. Ashdod, its surrounding settlements and villages. And Gaza, its settlements and villages. As far as the Wadi of Egypt and the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. In the hill country, Shamir, Jatir, Soka. Dana, Kira, Sanat, that is Debir, Anab, Eshtamoth, Anim, Goshen, Holon, Gillo, 11 towns and their villages. Arab, Duma, Ishtan, Janim, Beth Tupa, Apaha, Huma, Kirath Arba, that is Hebron, and Zior, nine towns and their villages. Mehon Carmel, Zipa, Judah Jezreel Jocaim Zeno Cain Gibath and Timnah ten towns and their villages Halul, Bethzur, Gildor Amorath Beth Anuth and Elkelton six towns and their villages Kirath Baal that is, Kirath-Jarim, and Raba, two towns and their villages. In the wilderness, Beth-Arba, Midin, Sakah, Nishban, and the city of Salt, and Ein gedi six towns and their villages. Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the people of Judah.
0: Judah, Judah, Judah could not or would not dislodge the Jebusites because if the Lord were with them, I think they could have done it. The lesson for us is that missing the mark is a massive mistake. This is just another little side note from the author warning us that the failure to rid the land of the Canaanites is going to be a problem. Now, it's odd that the blame is listed here against Judah, because we're in like, you know, the, the signing of Judah's territory, because Jerusalem is actually in the allotment for the tribe of Benjamin, not Judah. Perhaps it's here because a hero will arise from the tribe of Judah in a couple hundred years and finally take possession of Jerusalem. King David, and the city of Jerusalem will become known as the city of David. Now, the tribe of Judah does bear a lot of responsibility as the leader tribe for a good reason. Jacob prophesied about Judah way back in Genesis 49, and this is what he said.
1: Genesis 49 verse 8, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he too, whom it belongs, shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk.
0: Judah hands down gets the most territory. Its sheer size underscores Judah's importance in Israel. First and foremost, Judah is the privileged tribe in the line of Christ. It is prophesied right here. The lion figuratively represents kingship, and the tribe of Judah would rule in Israel until he whom it belongs or the Messiah comes. Verse 11 and 12 refers physically to the portion of land Judah was given, the wine district in the south. And it refers symbolically to the nation of Israel as the vine which God has planted and which we as Gentile believers are grafted into. Today, we call Hebrew people Israelites or Jews, which is short, for Judahites. Moving on to chapter 16. This is the allotment for Ephraim and Manasseh. Now Ephraim and Manasseh are Joseph's sons and represent Joseph's double portion blessing bestowed upon him by his father Jacob back in Genesis. The tribe of Ephraim and the western half tribe of Manasseh are the largest in what will become the northern kingdom of Israel. In fact, later in the Bible, The northern kingdom is sometimes called Ephraim, while the southern kingdom is called Judah because both of these tribes dominate in those two. Section. So right now we have 12 tribes, but the whole nation of Israel is going to become divided between the northern and the southern kingdoms. I won't try to describe their borders. Just check it out in the map in the show notes.
1: All right. Chapter 16. The allotment for Joseph began at the Jordan east of the springs of Jericho and went up from there through the desert into the hill country of Bethel. It went from Bethel, that is Luz, crossed over to the territory of the Arkites into Aroth, descended westward to the territory of the Jephetites as far as the region of the lower Beth-horon and on to Gezer ending at the Mediterranean Sea so Manasseh and Ephraim the descendants of Joseph received their inheritance this was the territory of Ephraim according to its clans the boundary of their inheritance went from the Atarath-Adar in the east to the upper Beth-horon and continued to the Mediterranean Sea from Micamahath on the north it curved eastward toward Ta'anath Silo passing by it to Geno in the east Then it went down from Geno To Ataroth and Na'ara, touched Jericho And came out at the Jordan From Tapwa, the border, went west to the Ka Ravine and ended at the Mediterranean Sea. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the Ephraimites, according to its clans. It also included all the towns and their villages that were set aside for the Ephraimites within the inheritance of the Manassites. They did not dislodge the Canaanites living in Gezer. To this day, the Canaanites live among the people of Ephraim, but are required to to do forced labor.
0: I hope you've noticed this pattern. I think the scribe who wrote this um, is a little old man who thrives on bad news. Now, we know that it, this book is attributed to J- Joshua, but I almost feel like the scribe keeps adding these little notes. He makes these little additions after he describes the good news of the land allotment. It's like Don't get too excited because there's a problem on the horizon. It's like your mother when she gives you good news. So-and-so bought a new house, but they'll never get their money out of it. Or so-and-so got a new job, but he travels all the time and will miss all of his kids. He'll probably end up getting a divorce. The author's message is clear. The tribes did get the promised land, but they aren't going to keep it. Failure to execute opens the door to exile. That's the lesson to us. Unlike Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, Israel's general population is not as committed to obeying God. In this case, Ephraim is putting themselves at risk for Canaanite influence. All right, chapter 17, the allotment for Manasseh continued.
1: This was the allotment for the tribe of Manasseh as Joseph's firstborn, that is, for Makir, Manasseh's firstborn. Makir was the ancestor of the Gileadites, who had received Gilead and Bashan because the Makrites were great soldiers. So this allotment was for the rest of the people of Manasseh, the clans of Abedazir, Halek, Asriel, Shechem. Hefer, and Shemida. These are the other male descendants of Manasseh, son of Joseph, by their clans. And now we have this special allotment of land for the daughters of Zelophehad. Verse 3. Now, Zelophehad, son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Makir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters, whose names were Malka, Noah, Holga, Milka, Tirzah. They went to Eleazar the priest, Joshua, son of Nun, and the leaders, and said, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our relatives. So Joshua gave them an inheritance along with the brothers of their father, according to the Lord's command. Manasseh's share consisted of ten tracts of land besides Gilead and Bashan, east of the Jordan. Because the daughters of the tribe of Manasseh received an inheritance among the sons, the land of Gilead belonged to the rest of the descendants of the Manasseh.
0: This special allotment fulfilled Moses' promise to the daughters of Zelophehad way back in Numbers 27, which was our season four. You can check it out. Because Zelophehad had no sons, his daughters had come to Moses and they were worried because when they eventually got their land, his name would disappear from the tribe and his allotment would be assigned to his brothers instead of to his children. Moses allowed that as long as his daughters married within the tribe so that the land stayed within the tribe, they could receive their father's inheritance and it would stay in their father's family, which, which way to go to girls.
1: Yeah, First it, girls to and get it's a land. really big deal because girls usually didn't get the uh, honor like that yep. in that time. Continuing in verse seven, the territory of Manasseh extended from Asher to Michmethath east of Shechem. The boundary ran southward from there to include the people living at En Tupa. Manasseh had the land of Tupanah, but Tupanah itself on the boundary of Manasseh belonged to the Ephraimites. Then the boundary continued south of the Kana Ravine. There were towns belonging to Ephraim lying among the towns of Manasseh, but the boundary of Manasseh was at the northern side of the ravine and ended at the Mediterranean Sea. On the south, the land belonged to Ephraim. On the north, to Manasseh. The territory of Manasseh reached the Mediterranean Sea and bordered Asher on the north and Issachar on the east. Within Issachar and Asher, Manasseh also had Bethshan, Ibleam, and the people of Dor, Endor, Ta'anak, and Megadío, together with their surrounding settlements, the third in the list is Nepahoth. Yet the Manassites were not able to occupy these towns, for the Canaanites were determined to live in that region. However, when the Israelites grew stronger, they subjected the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely.
0: There is that little old man whispering doom under his breath. A problem is looming for Manasseh, for although they got the upper hand with the Canaanites, they allowed them to stay, defying the Lord." Now, Joshua is not a yes man, and not everybody is as courageous as Caleb in this next story. So far, Joshua has said yes to several special requests about land. He said yes to Caleb, yes to Zelophehad's daughters. So you would think that when Joshua's very own tribe approaches him, that he would say yes,
1: but verse 14 The people of Joseph said to Joshua, why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for an inheritance? We are a numerous people and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. The Josephite tribes
0: of Manasseh and Ephraim are speaking as one tribe in this dialogue with Joshua. They're saying, why did you only give us one allotment? The Josephites' problem is that they don't think they have enough land for the number of people.
1: Verse 15, well, if you are so numerous, Joshua answered, and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, go up into the forest and clear land for yourselves. They're in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephagites.
0: Lots must have been cast for the allotment of land to the Josephite tribes prior to this request because Eleazar the high priest is not present. So they've already been given their land and now possibly the Ephraimites sought out Joshua alone, hoping to get an inside favor because Joshua was an Ephraim for might, because Eliezer is not there. But Joshua is fair, and he is not having it. His solution is simple. Hey, guys, you got to work for it. Create more space by clearing more land. Or in other words, kids, you, you, get, what you get what you get and you, you don't get upset. But the Josephites must be lazy because they would rather argue with Joshua, the leader of the nation, than work the land like he said it. So they keep at it with
1: another argument. Verse 16, the people of Joseph replied, the hill country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who live in the plain have chariots fitted with iron, both those in Beth Shan and its settlements, and those in the valley of Jezreel. Wow, wow, wow. The Josephites give more excuses. The Canaanites
0: are too strong for us. The bottom line is that they don't like what they have and they want more. But Joshua
1: responds with verse 17. But Joshua said to the tribes of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, you are numerous and very powerful. You will have not only one allotment, but the forested hill country as well. Clear it and its farthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have chariots fitted with iron and though they are strong, you can drive them out. Joseph
0: responds with a definite no. And he is a good reason.
1: First of all, they are huge
0: tribes, especially the tribe of Manasseh in particular. And Manasseh was a fighting tribe. Remember, they were, uh, when they first crossed over the Jordan, a leading tribe in, in leading the fight. So they were very instrumental in previous battles. They could defeat the Canaanites if they had more faith in God. Their attitude is in sharp contrast to Caleb's. Caleb believed in the promise, and because of that, was undeterred in conquering anyone in his way, knowing that God would be with him. And he defeated the Anakites literally with not even the whole tribe of Judah, just this clan, it sounds like. We're not sure, but whatever. Second, the Josephites really have three allotments of land, not one. They have one on the east side of the Jordan, remember that half tribe of Manasseh, and then two on the west, because the other half tribe of Manasseh gets an allotment, and Ephraim. Now, from Heather's reading, you'll know some of it is mixed up. It is a little mixed up, like part of Ephraim's is in theirs, and you know, the Issachars, etc. If you look at the map in the show notes, and put East Manasseh together with West Manasseh, it is almost as big as Judah's territory. Add Ephraim's territory, and it probably is about the same size as Judah's. Which makes me think did the Josephites have a little entitlement problem? Because their ancestor Joseph saved Israel, and now their man Joshua is in charge. Therefore, are they not as great as Judah? Why does Judah get all the land? Well, the tribes are finally all settling into the promised land, but there are cracks in their faith and sin is slowly, almost imperceptibly seeping in. I don't know if you could feel it, but it seems to me after most of those lands were allotted, the little old man was saying, but they failed to do something. And isn't that the way it goes with us? Slowly but surely, we kind of give a little here, give a little there, um, you know, rationalize this, rationalize that, and that sin, we just develop those little cracks in our faith that sin seeps into. And before you know it, we've made some of those same mistakes the Israelites are making.
1: What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible book club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, welcome Welcome to to the the club." club.